Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Lang Martin Jr. is the real deal. The 40 minutes that I spent talking to him are some of my favorite 40 minutes I've spent making wheels off. Something about the way he approaches life, the um, life's work he's amassed over these last six decades as a songwriter, the way he's decided to live, the way he's built the life that has brought him to this point where he is truly this happy, sweet, fulfilled human. To hear him talk about the choices he's made that brought him here, this guy, man, he is my new hero. There's so much in this conversation. It might seem counterintuitive for me to say that an interview with an 81-year-old man is the one that I most hope the young listeners to Wheels Off dig into because there is so much great stuff that I wish I could have heard as a young songwriter, as a young artist. He's, like I said, he's my new hero. This guy, Lang Mart Martin Jr., his uh, son, Tucker Martin, produced the new album he's got out, Music Man. Tucker is famous in his own right. At some point, I wouldn't be surprised if I corralled him into doing a wheels-off conversation. But man, his dad, Lang, brought the house, and it's going to be hard to top this one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Wheels Off, the great Lang Martin Jr. Welcome to Wheels Off, Lang Martin Jr. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you. Well, what an honor to be interviewed by a great songwriter and singer. That's awesome. Thank well, that you. Is, that's too kind of you. Um, from thank where, you. for the edification of our listeners, from where are you logging in? Right now, I'm in Delray Beach, Florida. Is that someplace you spend a lot of time? Um, we have been coming here for a few weeks in uh, most winters. Yeah. Smart. I, yeah. It's a very, have you ever been here? I don't know. What is it? What is it near? It's it's kind of it's between uh, Lauderdale and Palm Beach. Oh yeah, it, it, it's kind of um, it's kind of Euro Florida. You know, lots of cafes on the sidewalk and lots of happy people at night. You know, and not, not a lot of screaming and yelling, but but just people eating and walk families walking. It's great. Yeah, I, whenever I think of Fort Lauderdale in that area, I always think of the great jo um, John D. McDonald books about. Oh, Travis the McGee. Busted Flush, are you kidding me? The Busted Flush and Meyer and that whole crew. Oh, I mean, those books I read, every single solitary one of them was so depressed when there were no more to read. 
<laughs> I know. You thought they would never end because there was maybe two dozen of them. Yeah, there were a lot. I don't uh, even know when he died. Like, did he die like in the seventies or something? I don't know. I feel like it was the eighties because there was there was a couple that where it got a little bit grittier. Uh, and I know. So, sorry, I know we're totally off topic. Okay, but... <laughs> yeah, but but many things in common, I imagine. I heard I heard a story that Stephen King um, tried to get John D. McDonald's family to let him write a Travis McGee novel. And uh-huh. they, for some reason, they said no. I bet they regret that. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you could easily put a note and say, John D. did not write this, but it's yeah. written by the admirer of, you know, Steve. I mean, people would wig out. I'd buy it. Too, for, for sure. Um, well, by the way, congratulations on the new record. It's oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. It's so cool. Um, this is, I don't know how long in your mind, I don't know how long it took to make this record, but it seems like it was a pretty giant undertaking, right? Well, it took, it, it began, as you probably know, Tucker gave me five days in the studio, in his studio <laughs> for Christmas one year, and him as a producer and him as a mixer, and he would play the drums. And the deal was I would pay the musicians and he would choose them and i i would shut up during the whole thing and let him totally be the boss he chose all the songs the songs are from about a, almost a 50 year period like some of them when i was like 22 and stuff and 23 and um or maybe less and it was just fun Rhett, to let him be the boss. I mean, literally, I didn't play. If he suggested anything, I never argued. I just said, he's running it. I love it. He's great. Let him go, you know? And uh, and what a crew you assembled. Obviously, you got Peter Buck, Annalisa Tornfeld, who's one of my favorite singers. Oh, God, what a doll. Jesus. Uh, yeah. And then and just all the way down the line, I mean, you had some of the best players playing on your record. And you can tell. It sounds incredible. Thank you. Well, um, you know, um, Katie Lang, it was just amazing that she wanted to, you know, do a harmony and do a background, you know, but, yeah. you know, wow. You know, it's funny when you get your, all the people that you idolize and want to have anything to do with you, like at all. So that was a special treat. Many of them. What was it like for you to go back and listen to it once it was in the can and a finished product? No, it was thrilling because um, I don't know if you ever read the the Keith Richards book uh, about the Rolling Stones. You probably mm-hmm. did. I've it's heard called, a lot about it. Read called, and I think it's called Life. Yeah. But one of the things I remember is that Mick Jagger, final vocal was the first time he sang it all the way through without a mistake. Didn't go back. If he didn't have to punch in, it was over. And so honestly, that influenced me a lot when we were making this record. I there weren't many punch ins. It's pretty much, it's pretty much done. There, there was one, one punch in that I remember, but there may have, in general, it was just done. And, uh, it just felt like we were all together, you know, and we recorded, you know, together, you know, and not, not a whole jillion, quillion different takes and stuff. And I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's luck, but it's also good feelings. Tucker, Tucker has a real skill of, um, uh, putting people at ease. And in this case, he was assembling. It wasn't a band like old 97s that where you played forever. So they were, but they had gelled before many times and they, they just gelled. So, you know, luck. Yeah. Fact. I mean, I, I'm sure I will bring this up in the introduction that I'm going to record later, but yeah. So, so Lang's son is Tucker Martin, who's a really widely respected, accomplished music producer also played drums on the record. Yes, right? he did. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, that's great. He's just such a good drummer, God. And he doesn't even play all the time, but he plays a lot when he's not um, working. You know, he plays it for the fun of it. Yeah. One thing I think that's so cool about the way you made the album is there's not a lot of, like you said, not a lot of punch-ins, not a lot of fixes. I think that leaning into the sort of natural the humanity of a song rather than the computerized perfection that so many yeah. people chase nowadays, you can really hear that in the record. But you really, I'm just so thrilled that you say that, Red. Thank you. I mean, that we were just, we were just, you know, we'd have our lunch together and then we'd have our dinner together and then we'd meet and have coffee. You know, it just felt like a, a unit and just there were no, um, I don't know, no egos at all. I mean, Peter Buck came in and just, you know, strolled and sat around and listened to whatever anybody else was saying and took their, you know, so really nice. Boy, that's so great. And what is it like now being on the promotional circuit for a new album? Well, I'm really not on a circuit in the sense we made a couple, <laughs> we made a couple of videos. We're going to, you know, I'm doing a, some, you know, podcasts. Um, what else? Well, I, I spent, you know, a morning with our, our PR person just for sort of background stuff. But, um, you know, but it's simple like that. I, I, I'm not really touring the world or anything. I'm not a great uh, entertainer at all. I mean, I'm no, I'm not. I'm not a great guitar player. I write my songs on my guitar, and I play well enough to to write my songs. And I did some demos that I I would play the guitar track singing, and then bring some people into overdub. But in general, I in general I taught my songs to the musicians. I'd play it for them and give them an idea of the mood or what I was hoping for or whatever. You know, this guy just lost his girlfriend. He's walking home at night in the rain. His car didn't start and blah, blah, blah. You know, does that make you happy? Okay, play that on the record. Um, so, I mean, no one would want to hear me play the guitar, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> and my understanding from the great, by the way, the great uh, bio for the re record, which was written by Patterson Hood oh, of Drive-By yeah. Truckers. Gosh, what a good dude. And it was really sweet that the way he wrote it was really beautiful. But um, you describe in there in your descriptions of the songs, some of the a lot of these songs, especially the really early ones for you, you wrote them, quote, in the air. So I'm assuming yeah. that was without right. an instrument. Right? Yeah, without an instrument. Yeah. Um, you know, it was one of those things. I, I don't know if you went through this, but the kids that I grew up with all kind of were directed and in general, they were jobs that were where I would be fired like the first two or three minutes of the job, <laughs> you know, they would never have hired me and I would have hated it. And they were just excited about, you know, they work uh, internships in the summer for big companies or a wall street company and they're brilliant kids and they were great at it and everything. But I thought, God almighty, how am I going to earn a living? Am I going to start to death? You know? And so Literally, one summer I was painting a house and I had a little radio in, in a gutter next to me. And it played, I don't know if you remember the song, Abilene. You know the song? Oh, yeah, of Abilene, course. Abilene. And I thought, God, I mean, this song is so incredible. I wonder if I could write a song, you know? And I said, God, yes, God damn, I can, I can do that, you know? And I just had read so many of those song hits books where they listed the lyrics. Yeah. And they knew that these hit songs were like this long. You know, they weren't this. And so I, I saw the form and everything, and I, I just started writing songs. And this one, um, 
And the, well, the first song was called Swagger, which had no swagger, but the title was. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I idolized Elvis, and I. Well, the first thing I was going to college in New York City, and so one day I knew that the singers and songwriters and musicians hung out in this bar on Broadway called called the Turf Bar, and yeah. I, it was famous. And so I said, I'm going to go down there and find out where I make a demo of, of my song. And so I went in there one. I, I went twice and didn't have the guts to walk in the bar yeah and then this third time i went in in the afternoon there were hardly anyone in there and these two guys and i said um you know is there somewhere i could make a demo of my song you know you know i don't play an instrument or anything and they say well if does your song have music and i <laughs> said well yeah and they said how does it have music if you don't play it? you know i said well i i just sing it and that's when this guy says in the air <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean he thought that was the funniest thing you know and he so he told me yeah go to this place and it'll cost you a bit 80 or 100 bucks in musicians and studio this is like 1963 i guess 63. wow yeah yeah so um anyway i went and i made this demo and brett i heard that i went home and i played it like two to three thousand times you know <laughs> with the speakers detached <laughs> Up against my ears and say, God, this is the greatest thing. And this is what I, I want to do. You know, my other friends said, you know, and this is anyway. So I idolized Elvis. I just turned my records over and looked at the business part of the records. And one, the company that was publishing most of Elvis's songs was on Broadway. In between my classes, I just, hello, could I play you my song? You know, and, and I just started that way. And, of course, he didn't love my song, but it it addicted me, and I thought I love this guy. The guy was just so different from every other go businessman I'd ever seen, and I just began taking my songs around, and I loved it. I loved taking my songs around. That that helped me a lot because, um, you know, getting access, getting someone to hear your song is the whole name of the game when you're a songwriter, not not when you're a singer. That's a different um, job. But um, so when I got to Nashville, um, I just I love taking my songs around. It didn't depress me. I know they would turn it off half the time after literally 30 seconds, wrong tempo, don't have before they've even heard a word, but it wasn't for them. So anyway, I just kept doing it and I just I just got a bunch of records and it was just so exciting. And, and the idea that, you know, you get one dollar writing a song, it just seemed like such a miracle. and. You know, also another factor was my dad worked in New York City and took the train from Connecticut every day, and he wasn't really home that much. And we, ha I had four brothers and sisters, and I loved them. I loved their little shoulders and their little pajamas. I mean, it's cute, you know. And I just thought, I want to have a family, and I want to be there for. I want to know my kids, you know. Yeah. And so the idea of songwriting, I never missed a teachers conference or a game or any activity because we were free as you well know you're free you can actually invent yourself and make up your own life day God, that's so, um well, so two things you did eventually get a song cut by elvis yes i did yeah and that was you know one of the you know the accidents that happened but just by 
being present, really. There was a very famous publisher in Nashville named Bob Beckham. He ran a company called Combine, and it was the publisher of uh, Chris Christopherson and Dennis Lindy, who wrote, you know, Burn in Love and um, who, who else? Uh, Billy Swan, I Can Help, you know, just an endless list of amazing songwriters. And I was sitting next to him one day. He was going to play his song for a producer, and I was going to play mine. And uh, he said, everybody knew he had direct line to Elvis, to Elvis's producer, who was a guy named Felton Jarvis. Every, everybody knew that. But it was his line, you know, and nobody, you know. But he said, hey, Lang, do you, do you have a song for uh, Elvis? And I said, I said, yeah, I do. And he says, he said, you work your ass off. He said, you, you bring me that song. I'm going to get it. to." And anyway, net, net, he records it. It's literally, Rhett, it's the last new song the guy ever recorded. It wow. Was, yeah, no kidding. I mean, people who are on the session, that, that's the last new song he ever recorded. Go God. On. So, yeah, so bizarre. Uh, the other thing is, I'm sure, well, I, I hope the answer is yes, because it makes me so excited. You must have pitched songs in the Brill building. No, well, that first song is the only one, honestly, Swagger, yeah. the yeah. one that didn't go over so big. Yes, I did. And this man's name was Erwin Schuster. Mm -hmm. He was he was kind of he he became the most famous pop music publisher of his time. Yeah, I mean he was just golden, like um, you know, you know, Clive Davis on speed. I mean, anybody he just he, everybody knew that he he had great ears, total integrity, wasn't gonna waste your time. Um, blah 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 and so eventually he became my publisher and he got me some great barry manilow pointer sisters people great people and but he did it and when he would wig out for a song i mean well ray stevens was my publisher in nashville for 10 wow. years he wow. taught me he was without him i'm a dust particle i promise you because he introduced me to all his friends who were chet atkins and all the great people and he taught me you know he would i go can i play your song ray you know yeah he'd listen to the song give me you know 12 seconds of feedback and some most of the time it was just like man i don't know what to tell you on that one you know I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but when he said yeah, that's a smash i mean people could turn that down from now till doomsday and i would just believe they were wrong so we were just a great team, but there got came a point where I just said, I what I would love to be able to get a song recorded by, you know, the Pointer Sisters or people. And I was sending them songs that I just never heard back, couldn't get a phone, you know, just couldn't get anywhere. So Erwin Schuster and I had become good friends over the years at BMI Awards and different things. And I just, you know, I signed with his company, which was called Chapel, before I merged with Warner Chapel. And um I sent him this, the very first song I sent him was this song. And he said, that that's a smash. And I'm, and he got it recorded by the Pointer Sisters and became a top 10 record, you know, but it was a team, you know, we're like, okay, yes, I did write this song, but I would never have gotten it anywhere just sending it myself. And someone with the entree integrity drive and everything that he had it just happened you know? so but you and i know it's all the luck factor in our businesses i mean being present like i i, I google that you've got you've got so many dates coming up like in march you guys yeah it's, it's fantastic i mean the 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 effort that it 
took to get you guys where you are it's people don't have a clue it looks so easy because we love it and we're smiling all the time <laughs> but meanwhile it's terrifyingly difficult i think i boy i i'm so grateful that i get to pick your brain about some of this stuff but when has it changed for you over the years the act of songwriting like is when you were first writing songs did it feel vastly different is there anything now that feels more calculated or more like a job or is it still as fun how does it how does it work for you is it different well honestly i don't write songs anymore oh, i mean I'm, I'm, I'm 81. yeah and and mom um, our kids are grown my wife's in a wheelchair i my life honestly at this point is we're buddies my wife and i are buddies and, yeah. and we i mean i just don't write songs. we go on a ride in our car every day we have a book and we listen every day we get dairy queens and hot dogs and look at pretty scenes and drive in vermont or kentucky or you know wherever we're at. that that's just what we do so it's very different life i mean each few years of our life we're like a totally different person you me and everybody else and at this point in my life i mean it and you never know it could change i could wake up tomorrow and say god i gotta write some more songs but i mean i did it for 40 plus years like a friggin' madman and there came a moment like probably around around oh five or so and i just was not waking up with a you know song in my heart <laughs> like yeah. every day you know like you were like i was and so i just began segueing into a different different life it's funny that makes sense though that's sort of the age 65 when people say that they're going to retire or they sort of segue into a different chapter of their life yeah it wasn't intentional at all also i think and and you you'll may be at this point sometime because you're a lyrical um, writing type person but um I wrote this story for the New York Times about my wife's and my life since her accident. Did, did yeah. you know that? In Modern Love, yeah. Yeah, Modern Love, yeah. And I mean, we got this enormous feedback from this thing from like all over the world. It went and, viral, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it just was a such a new world. It was writing, but I felt as though I'd, you know, made contact with families and you know, love-based people or whatever, people that were kind of where I was in the universe at that moment, you know? So I just kept writing and became this book. It's book's called Permission to Fly, but it's about really kind of about what, you know, the kind of life that you and I both develop. The lives are different, but the the care and interest in our life, we didn't want to do just any old thing, like, hey, make some phone calls and help me get a job or something we wanted to do what we're doing and that's a tall order because you know the world isn't really dying for you there's nobody <laughs> sent for you to do this you know and um so anyway I wrote this book and I loved it but it took 10 years to write the book so for 10 years after songwriting I wrote this book so anyway wow so was it did it feel like a really different undertaking than writing songs it yes because you know it's your life so you're constantly thinking about you know the people who helped you um you know in my case in my case the, the most foundational people in my life are women my mom and my wife linda i mean they're they're the emotional yeses in you know and but all the people like my first job and all the people where i you know mowed lawns and did swim pools and all the crap that you do along the way and then that I had a job in advertising for a while, which just wasn't for me. But, you know, so all of these steps that, that tap you into 
who you really are and how how are you going to pay for your life you know and like it also it's pretty hard i thought and i mean i i still think everything about um the practical stuff is challenging i have to really 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 pay attention to it and um i mean learning you know when you're on your own as you or i are we you know you have to know about life insurance health insurance you have to know okay is this health insurance any good i mean when linda had her accident we didn't know are they going to pay for this friggin' thing or what oh, yeah it, it turned out they did but god, god. I mean, suppose suppose you know being whatever you knew what i had opted for like the cheapest thing where i could say yes i have insurance but you know it really was you know but fortunately they they really literally paid they paid every cent but you and i have to figure out how to do that you know even fedex says you know you 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 want this ticket to get there tomorrow and it's kind of heavy well it's 78 bucks okay well yeah i mean you got three of those i mean you know (laughs) you know what i mean it's a different you're you're so on your own the buck stops so much here that um it's just a lesson and you 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 get to a point where you are already you you know you have to know so many different things apart from you know singing showing up being in tune having all your guitars arrive at the play you know there's so much to it more than a fun part of singing or writing a song and but you have to pay attention to it or you're washed out you you can't be that anymore so and they don't make it easy for us types do they well i mean you know you go into a bank and, and to to get your get a mortgage and they go <laughs> you know yeah you go to like 11 other banks and maybe somebody finally you know so it's just but it helps to to have a sense of independence you you want to you're, you're a legitimate person you you're a fair player and eventually that helps you you know so my sense from talking to you and from listening to your music is that you have really lived a life that you enjoy and that you've built a life that sort of centers around love and loved ones yeah. um i w- i wonder when you look when you look back on what you've lived so far do you think, are there alternate paths you could have taken? Do you ever think, oh, God, what if I had, I mean, I do, I'm 52 years old and, and and I'm, you know, already wondering what if I had chosen this or chosen that, not regret exactly, but just that kind of curiosity about the alternate lives we could have lived. Is that something that comes to you or are you too much in the moment for that? I, when we moved to Nashville, Rhett, um, so that was 1972 and in connecticut where we had lived we owned a duplex you know a two-family house and we rented half of it to somebody else and they helped pay the money blah 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 so i i love i love houses i love neighborhoods i love you know families and people you know knowing each other and the community you know so i bought and sold a bunch of houses in nashville and they oh god these fantastically adorable houses i mean i saw one literally was eleven thousand no kidding so that would have been let's say let's say um i know 70 maybe maybe for that one 76 let's just say there came a point where i just i mean there was so much opportunity it was a joke i mean it really was it was like somebody had made a mistake on all of these houses you know and i just said you can't keep doing this because you won't be a songwriter anymore and you didn't move to nashville and this this family we had two little kids when we moved here uh to to be in real estate it's a great business but 
but you won't be a songwriter. So I, I had to stop. And I have honest to God, I never regretted it. I just said, nope, I'm going to be a songwriter and it's going to take every waking moment. And I want to be a dad and a husband. Those are it's the only thing I'm doing. And so I stopped. Then I kept that I loved because it was down near Vanderbilt University. And I used part of it as an office and stuff. But so that was a that was what you say where I where it was a look back and I say I'm really glad that I didn't opt for that because it was so appealing. And I I as the same as it sounds, I love dealing with the tenants. I still have three tenants in this little house down by Vanderbilt. I love these kids, you know, they're like my 80th tenant in that uh, that house. No kidding, really. Wow. Yeah, no leases, have no leases. That's just great. Never lost a dime. So I these relationships contribute a lot to my life, but they're not songwriting. And if I hadn't you know, gotten some songs recorded by good people. And, you know, I, I know I would have felt I, I copped out on what I, so that's the way I, you know, so I don't, I don't wish I did anything, but exactly what I did. But it's so funny. I think that like, you know, my, my, my kids are teenagers. And I, I think if I was to ask them how you would answer that question, given the set of circumstances you just described, they would probably guess that you would regret having walked away from Nashville real estate, which I'm sure anybody that got in early on Nashville real estate is making a ton of money right now, given what Nashville is. is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they are. My, my guess is that, that these, these young kids would probably think that you would regret uh, not having chosen that. And I think it's, it speaks volumes to say that now at 81 years old, looking back on your life and your family and your career, you, you wouldn't do it over again at all, that you're so no, glad you chose not what you chose. Close. And I honestly don't know that any artist-based person like, like you, like if you have a child who's an artist like, are, are going to be, I, I, I don't think they, when the push came to shove that, that they personally would ever, um, you know, opt for, really anything else if they're in i mean you just can't because it's you, you yeah. just can't you can't help it you you it isn't really um it's not a business decision for to be a songwriter it's just totally irrational drive you know you just can't help it you know you gotta be it and so if if you have, were to have a child you know bent that way he, he would never want any other kind of job they could offer him some great job at a banker and you know even at a at um you know, Facebook or something, and they're not going to take it if they want to be the. It's, I, I really hope that there are, I think there's a lot of young artists that do listen to these interviews that I do with people. And I, cause I think that's who gets the most out of these conversations. And I, I just hope that that lands with young artists, what you just said, because I feel like every day we're making decisions that where we're choosing to turn our back on money or opportunities that skew towards wealth and the pursuit thereof. But you know what you're saying, because I think all of us wonder if we're shooting ourselves in the foot, if we're digging our own grave, if we're going to regret this down the line, boy, and I really hope they hear what you're saying, because I, I, I think there's, that's so important to know that you are going to worry about money, but you're going to regret it if you turn your back on your art. Yeah. Yeah, I just, but, but I think also you, you wouldn't sleep well. And you, and I just remember my ad job, which was, I, I, people were great. I loved all the people and everything, but I, I, I would come home and I say, there isn't one guy's job in this place that I want. They all have a horrible job. 
to me. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, it's exactly right for them. But God, I don't, I don't really care if, you know, these tires sell or this, you know, <laughs> this, this woman's laxative works really great. I mean, I don't really care, you know, so I don't want to just do that and devote my life to, you know, doing that. And even though for another person, they would look at songs and say, what is this ephemeral bullshit? This little, these songs that make, you know, that are, I use the happy little songs. This is crap. What's that doing for the world? Well, I don't know. It's what I like. You know what I mean? So each person, but you, you really do. I think you just pay a massive price if you, if you don't just go for it, you know, and pay the price. I think that what, you know, you see these pillows, Rhett, that say like stuff like follow your dream or be the real you or something like that. You know, they skip the price. The price is like not even on the list. The price to be you to follow your dream is so high, but it's worth it because you're you get to be yourself and you know i don't know that's pretty nice it's beautiful <laughs> okay i i've got to i've got to ask you a little bit more about songwriting just because of sure. your your wealth of knowledge you the way you write songs um seems technically i think it's different than maybe the way i write songs because you were always writing to try and land songs for the most part with other people did you approach it when you were sitting down to write a song um, to try and like calculate what you thought would sell or calculate what you thought these people would want? Or were when you sat down to write a song, were you just kind of blank page, just trying to write something that would make you happy? Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, I just went in the room and I just see, you know, I grew up on these people The the well, music first began to grab me with um the nat king cole tony bennett even perry como record those were that was before rock and roll yeah I, it, people don't really talk about this but rock and roll kind of started like one week i mean just one day it just started kids called each other have you heard have you listened to such and such a station and you you tuned in and it was to mary from john i'm sorry about thursday night they would start some song, you know, go, God damn, what is this? You know, it's the greatest thing going. And little Richard would go, you know, tutti fruity, and you go, this is the greatest thing in the world. And it, but it literally, it wasn't going like last week. It just started this, this was in New York in this radio. Yeah. And so um, I just was steeped in all this, what I think of as boy girl stuff, you know, um, whole lot of shaking and uh, all shook up and um, Peggy Sue and all this stuff. That was just boy girl. That was the excitement and, and the fabulous tension between boys and girls. It's just magic or lovers of any kind that just this unbeatable. So that was the general propellant for me. Like I have this song called rub it in, but it was like, it just, just started in our backyard with somebody saying, you know, rub, will you rub the lotion on my back? You know? And I thought, rub it in, rub it. This is just, but it was all the same thing. It's like the, the cuddliness, the sweetness between, you know, boys and girls are people who are attracted to each other and the magic that happens when you feel it, you know, and that's just what my biggest drive to songs. I mean, even like there was a song, um, it was a song that Pam, Pam Tillis did. It's called I Was Blown Away. It, it was an odd song because it was on its way to being a really big hit when the building in Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think it was it was in the top 15 or 18 or something and, and blew up. And she had to write a letter or a 
backs to all the uh, radio stations saying out of respect for all of these people, you know, I, I'm withdrawing my, you know, uh, but so I, at that point, I guess I was like 50, 53 or 54 or something, but pretty old to be writing. But it, it too was like a boy girl song. It's, it's this. And so I've just found just even now, I mean, I'm 81. I just, see people and there's a magic sometime between you even just friendships even men you know there's a bell that goes off you say i love this person you know i i i love this 12 year old boy you know yeah. i love this 13 year old girl these this is a a rare person they're not they're not on facebook they're just a being a busy being a person <laughs> and i love it you know and so all this this thing that people feel between each other and um I, I don't know. It, it's where the magic was. It, it's what pretty much all my songs are about. I mean, Richard Lee, incredible songwriter who wrote um, Don't Make My Brown Eyes Blue and a bunch of other yeah. things. But he and I wrote a song called The Greatest Man I Never Knew. I don't know if you ever heard that, but it was a Reba McIntyre record. And it, it's about people. It's about a dad who really was um, kind of preoccupied. And The Greatest Man I Never Knew, you know, it lived mm. just down the hall. That's the way the song goes. And it's... Um, but the human drama, you know, I didn't, you know, I love songs like uh, Take Me Home, Country Road and all that stuff, which about, you know, land and all that. And I, and I feel that's really strongly. I don't really have many songs like, like that as much as I could listen to that from now till the day I die. But um, it's generally about this thing between people or the excitement of being a young, yeah, you know, or 81, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, there, somebody at some point said something to me about songs, and I think it might apply to a bunch of different disciplines of, of creativity. But they said, we, each of us, each of us songwriters is always writing the same song over and over again. And I, I wonder about that. And I wonder, mm -hmm. looking back on your... Um, you know, your your body of work, does that seem like it kind of describes, is it all about this sort of that magic moment between a boy and a girl when, when something is is coming together? Or or do you think that you've been able to, to write songs that cover a wide spectrum of interpersonal moments? Uh, well, there's, there's a, a song in the album called Let the World Go By. I don't know if you've heard it. it, it it's really good. And it's not about um, it's just about it. I think I was like 22 when I wrote it. I, I, I'm really surprised when I listen to it and I think, God, you know, that's pretty good for, um, but it's, uh, so th there's a wide, there's a wide spectrum, but it, but it's, you know, like, God, I don't know, like, like I've got what rub it in. my, my pointer sister's record is called, should I do it? Um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not a sex song like it sounds like. it's it's uh, <laughs> it's um you know he as I, I swore when he hurt me so i wouldn't see him anymore but today he called my name and i can feel that same old flame should i do it should i fall should i you know that, that he, yeah all that it's the drama the back to the drama so i guess that is far and away my overwhelming theme and i don't know if i would say it's the same song over but it's the same theme over and over yeah, yeah and i think that is i think that's what they meant obviously we couldn't make a whole <laughs> life out of writing one song over and no over no again. no oh my god i love this okay i'm no, gonna well, add, 
No, you're good. You're you're really oh. good. You're, you're the interview everybody wants to have because <laughs> you're you're a person who actually, you know. Well, I definitely the other guy. I, I definitely appreciate you know what you're doing and what you've done and the perspective you have. So I'm going to ask you to try and distill this wisdom and imagine a 21 year old version of yourself, but in today's world. Mm-hmm. And what advice do you? Th- think you would or could give that 21 year old version of you well honestly if you want to do if you want to be a painter or a book writer or whatever and if you just can't help it if you just can't help it you'll know (laughs) you know you'll just do it and you'll work in a 7-eleven at night you'll i loaded trucks i was a teamster i had a card carrying teamster like loaded like for jimmy hoffa like he was a pro you know at the time um you'll just do whatever it takes and and people will say um you know red or you know johnny or whatever you know, they'll they'll say wait you're 28 you're you're loading trucks you're kind of a flop and you have to withstand that and even with like with children like we have had our kids like like tucker i mean tucker was i mean he oh god that guy is so freaking driven and you know he never went to college he told us when he was about 14 he said dad just want you to know i'm not going to college you know (laughs) so people said well you can't let him do that and i said it's not my life. Tucker's really smart. He is not going to waste any time. And he didn't. I mean, by the time he was 22 or a regular college graduating age, he had covered like infinitely more ground than most 22 year olds and infinitely more ground than he ever would have covered toward what he wanted to do in life than he would have if he'd been, you know, grooving around in his saddle shoes and stuff in college, you know, <laughs> you know, so I, Honestly, I would just say, look, if you can't, you, you'll know because no one has to say a word to you. You you can't. It's much more like people telling you to do other stuff and you saying, forget about it. I'm not doing that. And But this key thing is you'll know if you're willing to pay the price because the price is it's not only an economic price, but you very often. I mean, I think I was let's see, I was I was 32 before a song made enough money that we could actually earn a living. And believe me i mean our cars were tragic um you know we couldn't do you know we couldn't split a check at a nice restaurant i mean yeah forget it it's just gonzo dog you know you're just another and people think and you we lived in a very 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 modest apartment and all our friends are taking vacations in the bahamas and they're driving station wagons or nice car you know we're not and so you it's just you're fragility of your ego but i mean i just thought i'm not i'm they're doing something different from me and me fortunately i had an amazing wife who is totally immune to any peer pressure she's just totally it's not even vaguely on her radar (laughs) and so together we just we thought we were having a great life we would grill our little hamburgers on our back step and you know and just our kids would have a tire swing and we just thought we had a great life you know but no illusions that we were um you know guaranteed anything because you don't really know you don't know what's going to happen i mean if something good happens it's just a miracle and when something good happened honestly right we would just say well this may never happen again what can we do to just help us maybe we got our first house another house was another duplex we rented the 
top floor and we lived on the bottom and we made our little garden and painted and painted the house and but down 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 you know just because the most valuable thing was to to have this life where we felt as though we were in charge of our life and not to have anything fancy car or anything we didn't care we just wanted to be together and safe and have you know and have our little house and you know but it's when people say well playing you're you're 30 whatever don't you think you should be farther along in life either no i mean <laughs> i like that more songs recorded but i don't wish i was doing some other job you know to to get you know so i'm farther along in life if i have some job that i hate and you know i'm testing that's farther along no it, you know hey did you ever read i got a question for you Rhett. did you ever read shoe dog shoe dog it it's it's about nike it's about phil knight who founded nike it is so good but he says a lot of the things that you and i would have feel one of them is that he's 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 about i think he's around 26 he's living at home in his parents house he's surrounded by his running trophies from high school and everything and he says pretty much what i said um i'm 26 i think i should be farther along in life you know and there's no guy in, who doesn't have that moment just think you know you you can't help it you just think you know am i am i gonna be able to take care of these people i mean you can't help it i mean if you're a responsible person yeah am i gonna you know you know i know i should be farther along in life you know in, in these other ways and when you see people having a good car and a good vacation and everything but i don't wish i had their life or i wish i had another life i just yeah. i would like to have the life that i have doing what i do and be farther along in it and, and so when something good does happen it just means so much to us you know you like you get your song like your, your barrier reefs or something you, you get a song like that and you get you go to a store and you, you get feedback and someone says this or that and you say miller life killer you know i mean it's just whatever <laughs> that's the payoff yeah i mean i mean you do have to stay alive but the payoff is different so you know Boy, I think I think that's such a I just to me, Lang, you are the ultimate role model. I got to say, I, I really feel like when I'm 81 years old, if I can um, exude the kind of joy that you do and, and look back on a life that's as well lived as yours, then I will have done something right. And I feel so grateful that you shared this with me and with the listeners today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Ray. What a pleasure. What a pleasure to be interviewed by somebody who's as accomplished as you are. So thank you. I think it's just awesome that you want to spend one second interviewing other people. You should maybe turn it around and ask yourself some questions someday and then put that podcast out. Oh, man. Well, I feel like I get so much out of it. Just even in the last, you know, 40, 40 minutes with you, I feel like this is a lifetime's worth of wisdom. And I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a pleasure. You take care. I hope I meet you someday. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.
Osiris. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.